Hey friends, I hope that you have had an amazing week of reading the Bible. We have read a lot, a lot of Genesis and then some of Luke, and I hope that you have been amazed and enthralled and thrilled with all that God is saying to you. So I want to go through some of Genesis and then highlight a little bit of Luke, but Genesis is my favorite thing to talk about. I love Genesis. I have literally spent hundreds of hours researching Genesis. If you go to BibleProject.com, they have some free seminary level classes on Genesis. And then also they have lots of podcasts on Genesis. Dennis Prager has a great commentary on Genesis. It's um, this bottom one right here. So there's so much information out there on Genesis. And I believe that it sets the tone for the rest of the Bible. Genesis 1 through 3 gives us so many themes. It will blow your mind once you really start seeing what the author is trying to craft and construct to set up the Torah, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, those first five books. And then how much the rest of the authors of the Bible really draw on Genesis in particular, um, and then the rest of the Torah to bring those themes to completion throughout the rest of our Bibles. So let's dive in, Genesis 1. Uh, this right here that I'll read is the CSB, but Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. What's so cool about that is that in Hebrew, Genesis 1-1, it is seven Hebrew words. Now in our English Bibles, it's a little bit more than that. But in Hebrew, it's seven Hebrew words. What's amazing is that um, the number seven is the number of completeness. So right here in the very first verse of the very first chapter, the author of Genesis is going ahead and laying out this theme of seven and completeness. So we're gonna see seven throughout the rest of the Bible. It, it will blow your mind. But um, we've got like the seven days of creation, especially just right here. And um, on the seventh day, you'll find Sabbath and rest. So that's the next theme. We'll have seven and then we'll also have rest. And um, those, those two, the, the number seven and then the idea of Sabbath rest, they go right hand in hand. So when the author said in seven words, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, what he was saying was, God, before he began creating, he was complete. What he was creating was complete. His idea was complete. His creation was complete. Everything that God was doing began in completeness. So I don't know where you're walking today, what you're walking through. You might be in the middle of something really rough. But I want to tell you that before you walked into that situation, it was complete. God sees the end from the beginning. He is the Alpha and the Omega. God saw it all the way down at the end and completed it. And he's going to turn it around for your good. He works all things together for the good of those that love him and are called to his purpose. So in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of all of this doing, rest and know that God has it totally complete. So I made some notes here on my phone of some things that I wanted you to see. Um, in chapter one, every day ends with God saw it and, uh, oh, evening and morning, the first day, evening and morning, second day, third day, fourth day. So it says it every single time except for the seventh day because the author is saying the seventh day does not end. The seventh day is a perpetual Sabbath, a perpetual rest that we live in. And the author of Hebrews 
picks this idea up and he talks about us living in and entering into that seventh day Sabbath rest. So rest, rest in God's completeness, rest in his love and his mercy, rest that he's got you and that it's all going to be okay. Another great theme here to pick up in, in Genesis one is the theme of temple. Temple is something we'll see throughout both the old and the new Testament. Um, because we believe that we are the temple of God. So that theme has to start somewhere and it starts right here in Genesis 1. Because we see that God created, it says God created Eden and then in the middle of Eden was, was the tree of life, right? But where is Eden? It said in the east. So you've got east and then Eden and then the tree of life. It's the temple imagery. It's outer court, inner court, holiest of holies. And we're going to see that all the way um, is, is this idea of three and about starting on the outside and entering in to what God has for us and where his presence is. Um, when we move on to chapter two, no, let's say in chapter one, verse 26, and it said, uh, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. It's a very interesting set of words there. Let us, plural, make man in our image, plural. Who's God talking to? A lot of scholars believe that right here we set up the idea of a divine council. Um, and we see this really predominant in the beginning chapters of Job where Satan comes in with these other angels and presents himself before God. It's like this courtroom scene. Psalms, I want to say it's 83, but... I'll have to get back to you. It's right right in there in the 80s. There's um, this beautiful passage where God is um, in a courtroom type setting again with all of these heavenly hosts around him. And so God is saying, let's make man in the image of the divine council. Let's make him um, eternal. And Corinthians picks this up when he talks about us laying aside the corruptible and putting on the incorruptible to make man live forever. And how is he going to do that? He's going to eat of this tree of life and he's never going to die. That's so good. And so then what do we have in its place now? We have eternal life through the blood of Jesus. Um, chapter 3, 15. Man, this is the one that you should commit to memory. You should know what Genesis three fifteen says. So it says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is the first messianic promise and prophecy of our Bibles. Someone is going to come that's going to overturn all of this curse and all of this sin and evil that's entered into the garden, another person is going to come and he is going to crush the head of Satan. Who is that going to be? We don't know because we're just in Genesis chapter three. Is it going to be one of Adam and Eve's sons? Is it going to be eventually David or Daniel? Is it going to be Moses? The answer is no, no, no. It is going to be Jesus Christ when he returns. But Genesis 3.15, this is the promise that we hold on to. Jesus is coming and he is the Messiah. I want you to remember when you're reading your Bibles that 
Chapters and verses came later. So this is not something that the original authors wrote with. Um, they didn't sit down and scribble in, where should I break, and, and all of those kinds of things with numbers. So it was added in a long time later. But they wrote in movements. So think about like stories. We just told a story, we'll start another story. Those are movements. So Genesis 1 through 11 is the first movement of Genesis, which is amazing. So you're going to have to think in those terms like Genesis 1 um, the first that first movement it really ends in 2 verse 3 it should go Genesis 1 1 to 2 3 but our chapter is a little bit funky don't let that throw you off but just get into the idea and the mindset of movements um all right we have a couple more minutes let's talk about Luke oh my goodness Luke is so great he's a doctor he traveled with Paul he was meticulous in his details and he wrote two books he actually according to word count wrote more of the new testament than paul so he wrote luke and acts think about volume one and volume two he wrote them with the same themes with the same ideas um i'll sh i'll show you later when we talk about luke more in depth but he wrote it sequentially almost the same thing with with some of the same exact phrases um some of the things to highlight here um, we should talk about shepherds. Shepherds were unclean. They were kind of outcasts of society. Jesus Christ comes and he looks at the shepherds. That He sends the angels first to announce his coming. Um, we've got Mary and Joseph at the beginning and they lay Jesus in a manger, which is a hewn out rock. And then we have Mary and Joseph at the end, Mary Magdalene, Joseph of Arimathea, and they're going to get, they're, they're going to find Jesus in a hewn out rock, which is a tomb. These are literary devices that Luke is using to paint a great picture. Also, we're going to get the Magnificat, which is right after Mary meets Elizabeth. She sings this beautiful song that is almost, uh, I mean, it's, there's so many words and themes that are just like Hannah's song. So you should Google that, the Magnificat, um, how Mary's song is like Hannah's song. Guys, there's so much here, and I can't wait to talk to you next week. Keep reading. Email me questions. I love you guys so much. God bless you.